being a comic, but a lot of it was, you know, definitely fight or flight. I mean, there's nothing more, people say stand-up is the hardest form of entertainment. And I think it is because you're alone and you have to be on alert 100% of the time. Like Judy Dench or freaking Patti Lapone probably isn't going to have to scream at someone in a Broadway theater, um, call them a big fucking cunt. Like we might have to because they're yelling or drunk. It's considered part of the fun. Well, it ain't fun for us, but you can't start crying. So basically you better develop a thick skin, which helps in comedy, helps you get rich, helps you make money, does not help you in life. Because yeah. literally, what is the rage doing? It's really just medicating that 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 thing in, in you that isn't healed. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I'm an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of my day helping people live incredible kick-ass lives by getting over those mountains that once began as molehills. And today... Today is not about alcohol. Today is not about relationships. Today is not about anything other than laughter. My dearest friend, client, family member, Glynis, once said from the Strive community, Lee, you know, I used to love the podcast back in the day when it was really funny. But today it's like dead serious. All the, all the guests you get on, you're, like, you're talking about serious stuff like trauma and death and narcissism and relationship death and have some fun. So I decided to get comedians Bo McDowell, Nick Scopoletti and Lisa Lampanelli onto the podcast to do nothing other than to just rip the shit out of each other, right? So if you're easily offended, do not listen any further. If you want to learn something about life, don't listen any further. But if you just want to laugh with and experience somebody like Lisa Lampanelli, who is a roast specialist. She's roasted people like Hulk Hogan, Donald Trump, and Pamela Anderson. And me, Bo, and Nick, we just like roasted the odd kind of like loin of beef. But we try our best and we get stuck in as well. If you just want a good laugh and hey, if you are really struggling trying to stop drinking alcohol, then one of the best things you can do is to inject more laughter into your life. Then I will leave you in the capable hands of Losers with a Dream, the great new podcast with these three people, Bao McDowell, Nick Scoboletti, and Lisa Lampanelli. Wow, you're all together. Yes. <laughs> it's how we are. We even like each other enough to be together for, I don't know, approximately one hour a week. Yes. So yeah. you're yeah. Out. Yeah, We had a sleepover last night. And now we're I actually thought that you'd be on three different screens. I was actually getting excited about you being on three different screens. And now I'm like, kind of like, Bit let bored. down. You bored already? Bored already. I'm done with this shit. Oh, can I ask you? Can I? Can I ask you a question? Personal question. Which yeah. one of us? Who sent the email? Who who sent the Instagram Me. message? Me. So, oh. Bo. So we got Bo, Nick, and Lisa, right? Yes, yeah. sir. Bo, do you know when you said we're all fans of your podcast? Was that just bullshit? Yeah, I have no idea what you guys. Ah, I fucking knew it. <laughs> 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 I knew it. I knew it. No, I actually had a buddy. I had a buddy that reached out that was like, oh, it's this guy. And he talks about each day he was sober um, for like a period of time. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. So I, I, I heard about it. He told you that? 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. I got. I think he got the wrong guy. A lot of people get the wrong guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know that guy? We have I, I get a lot of people emailing me, think I'm one year no beer. So like Andy, no, Andy's not with him anymore, but one year no beer, like phenomenally successful. And I get all these emails thinking I'm one year no beer. And each time I get one, I have to write back to him and say, actually, I'm the shitter version of one year no beer. <laughs> That's all right. Once we get you under the belt, we'll hit up that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you his down details. right now. <laughs> I'll give you his details. Hey, folks, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know what I was going to talk about, and then I just went downstairs in the kitchen and made myself a cup of coffee. And as I opened the kitchen door, I looked at this thing, and every time I see this thing, it just reminds me of how much of a fuck up I am, right? So I got this thing and I thought, I'm going to share it with you, right? So what do people who stop drinking alcohol do with their money? Tie it in with codependent behavior, right? So I went to Foodie Land in Pasadena with my four-year-old daughter and my wife. The other week, we were walking around Foodie Land and my daughter spots these people walking around with these in their hand. Now, for those of you, for those of you listening, I just shown the guys a massive baby ball, right? She says, I want one of those. All right, okay, you're my daughter. You want, you get. I get into the queue. It's a fucking mile long. I get to the front. The woman says it'll be 20 bucks. 20 bucks! They filled it with piss that I wasn't going to let her drink anyway. Like, I wasn't even going to let her drink it. And my codependent behavior couldn't say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the worst. It's like it's like adopting one addiction after ditching the other. But which one is more healthy? A $20 bottle of piss that possibly can help you pass a drug screen? Or is it alcohol? I say go with the piss. That's what LL says. Boom, boom, boom. And I guess like the uh, the point in all this is even though you stop drinking alcohol and then when you do, you think you're the fucking bee's knees, you're still so fucked up inside that it is untrue. And if you don't work on that shit, then you're going to end up buying baby bottles for the next 20 years for 20 bucks. <laughs> True. Like Bo, we, we recorded an episode of our podcast yesterday, which shameless plug is called losers with a dream available everywhere. And Bo was talking about the episode was on feeling your feelings and just when it gets too much, what do you do? So he was talking about all the different things that he went to after drinking. Uh, so what were they? Basically you were big shopping. Dr- yep. Uh, the what? Trombone. He bought a freaking oh, yeah. trombone <laughs> because he thought that might be a good hobby. I mean, literally, even I'm That's not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he was no, tapping fine, into dude. his music creator. I like no, I like I like the idea. I mean, because we know that actually gonna get a bit scientific on your ass here but this guy Stephen porges who talks about polyvagal theory singing and using the voice and musical and breath massively important so bo you were onto something however just nipping out and going to get some beef from fucking sainsbury's that ain't gonna cut it mate <laughs> no, it's not. And I think what's funny is like if you ever heard Bo sing or play the trombone, <laughs> that guy had changed his freaking theory. Believe me. <laughs> oh, Bo's getting Bo's getting cured. But for every Bo that's getting cured, there's another ten he's driving to alcoholism. 
That's right. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> a great point, man. And, but also the whole thing too is because I was in a, I've never been a drug or alcohol person, but I was in a rehab for food issues, compulsive uh-huh. eating. So, you know, obviously knowing the root, learning that the root of all addiction is codependence. It was so, I mean, every time I do something when I didn't go to food, that was to distract from my feelings. I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here. But it's very hard to stop the addictions of things that don't seem at first that bad. Like if you have money, why would shopping be a problem? If you uh, like, oh, I don't know, achievement, what would be the problem with becoming obsessed with achievement? And it's like, oh, they're all a problem. And it's hard to spot those things. Yeah, especially food. Food's the most difficult one because I tried to stop eating food. And after about six months, I was nearly fucking dead. My wife had to say to me, Lee, you've got to eat some food. So it's I, true. It's true. I got, right. So hang on, hang on. If there was tumbleweed right now, it would be fucking flying across the screen. Did you just hear that joke? <laughs> well, listen, here's the thing. We heard it, but you're talking to a world-famous comedian here. Two, two other world-famous comedians. Two terrible comedians. We're not going to laugh at the cool guy, but you do have... You know what's great about you, though? You're way better looking than the three of us put together. Plus, you got that hot accent. Yep. So, dude, P.S., you're the only one with wives and kids. We're losers. We got nothing. Talk, talking about that. Hold on a minute. Oh, one second. Oh, you got it. That joke about the food is fun. <laughs> You're done. Let's hope this relationship is over. Uh, I <laughs> can't get wives anymore. It's really funny because my friend Glynis, she's in our strike community. So we have a community of people who are trying to like make have a great life and all that. And we're trying to stop drinking in the process. And Glynis said to me the other day, it's like, Glynis, give us some feedback because I've got a money tree. I've got a I got a money cup and I'm broke as fuck. So what am I doing wrong? And she said, well, the podcast used to be really funny and then lately it's been really serious. So it's really good to have you on. Like how, <laughs> how important is humor? How important is humor when it comes to like getting better or whatever you want to call it? It's so important, right? Well, Bo is very equipped to to talk about that because he's been boring audiences for three years now. <laughs> But I want to say something before he talks about that. I always heard because, you know, performing on in big theaters and doing huge shows, they would always say laughter is the best medicine. And I say, you know what? No, it's not. Chemo is freaking medicine. Medicine is medicine. So put it this way. It's about the fourth best medicine. So if you can laugh, it does free your concerns more. It makes the audience forget about their troubles for uh, an hour or however much time you're on stage. But when it comes to sobriety, Bo, what do you think about how does it help you stay sober and inspire others? Yeah. I mean, it definitely helped me get sober, right? Cause like when I first started going uh, to meetings, I'd be hanging out in the parking lot and I'd see guys like just making each other laugh. And I was so miserable. I was like, Oh, I didn't even know. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, yeah, people are still laughing. You know, like people are happy. That's crazy. <laughs> and and it was great because they'd be in the parking lot and they were all guys who, you know, were in their first year of recovery, like just trying to get their shit together. But they're funny as hell, you know, and and all of a sudden I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm in this group. And, I, would, you know, you get in that circle and you start making them laugh and they start making you laugh. And then you go, oh, I want to 
I want to come back tomorrow because we're going to, we're going to laugh again. So I think it's, it's that attraction, right? Like, you know, it's all about, it's all about seeing something or being involved in something that you want to be at again. Right. Mm. And like, you know, going to meetings and, you know, sitting in church basements and drinking black coffee that tastes like shit is not that (laughs) much fun. But when you're surrounded by people that have a common goal and that are really funny and naturally dark sense of humor type people, you have a chance at connection easier through humor. Mm. So I think it's really about like the, the chance to Connection's connect huge. with different people because of laughter. Yeah, but I also I think, you know what? Laughter is inherently hopeful. So mm. it's really just, it's like, if you can laugh at something, there's hope for you. So even when you're, when there's a death and you see like, um, people at a funeral or at a wake having a laugh at the eulogy because they remember something that the, that the, the deceased did or how they bonded. And it was a humorous moment. I mean, look at that famous episode of Mary Tyler Moore. The highest rated episode was chuckles, the clown's funeral because they just could not stop laughing about this character. So I think it just gives people hope that it's going to be okay. And it won't be okay immediately, but keep coming back and it'll be okay. You know, Lisa, I I know we didn't really prepare for this, so I should have told you before that we don't have anybody in my audience that's older than 100. That's okay. (laughs) Because the thing is, the fact is, if you are a student of television, which I imagine some of you are, you should really explore the great sitcoms of all time, meaning all in the family, Mary Tyler Moore. I enjoy this TV. The Golden Girls. Oh, they're the best, those old bitches. I will tell you something. And here's my only problem with the Golden Girls, to be honest. How are the four of them going to have us believe in they're getting laid? Come on. <laughs> well, that's true. Nick would go for Blanche, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Takes her teeth out. That is, that is, <laughs> okay, that, that is a problem. Okay, so. Here's what I'm thinking, right? Like, I'm not a comedian, but I sense that irony and vulnerability are really important to comedy. So AA would be a good place to have a lot of comedy because there's a lot of irony there and there's a lot of vulnerability, right? So I'm going to be vulnerable now, right? And you're talking about the Golden Girls getting laid. I've often thought about this, but I've never said it before, fear of being ostracized from the world. But (laughs) as I get old, like as I get like 70, 80, I don't think I'm going to be looking at other 78-year-old women and getting art, right? 100%. 100%. No. That's why I don't date anymore. Because I just turned 60, and there's no way I'm banging an old dude. That's freaking disgusting. <laughs> I am not... I mean, I'm not pulling in the 50-year-olds or the 40-year-olds. Like, forget it. Close for business from the waist down. I can't be bothered with it. I don't... We can dream, but it ain't going to happen. Is this why you're hanging around with Bo with his baseball cap the back way? Because he's well, like listen, 18. Bo is so freaking, he's mentally ill with this stuff trying to get laid with these girls. The, the girls that these two idiots are attracted to. And that's why I think it's great because on our podcast, we they really are vulnerable and honest about going after the wrong girl, sending the right girl away when they shouldn't have. And I love that it could be two supposedly straight guys. This is still to be determined over here. But two guys who can really be vulnerable, about wanting love, <laughs> wanting kids, wanting marriage, but being fuck all terrible at doing it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. do you know what? Like, I've got the giggles already. I'm, I'm kind of looking at you three on screen, and I'm thinking, when Nick opens his mouth, it's going to have to be something pretty fucking epic now, isn't it? Because <laughs> he's been so quiet for 14 minutes. The audience are watching, thinking, what's this fucking guy going to do? Go ahead, Nick. I'm the, uh, I'm the looks and the talent he is. of this group. He is. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. No, you guys are talking about a dick. Well, it's funny, because we've been going on these... Uh, like, you know, some sobriety addiction podcasts and whatnot. And these two have been, I mean, almost in like a training, right, for the last few years. They've her with codependency and food, him with alcoholism and drugs. And for crack. me, I was trying, you mostly crack, yes, male crack. But <laughs> there's a, <laughs> but um, no, for me, I was like, I never really, I never had an issue with any of these things. And I was like, well, what's, I don't, I don't think I have any addictions. And I've talked to both of them. And I used to, you know, I work in the fitness industry and I used to compete in bodybuilding and powerlifting. I took steroids as a teenager. Mm. I was like, yeah, that's not an addiction. I'm just, you know, it's just fun. <laughs> I just want to get huge, dude. It's not a thing. It doesn't matter. And then like Bo was explaining to me like what addiction is and, and how you act. And I was like, oh yeah, I acted all those ways. I just, <laughs> just yeah. channeled it into something completely different. It went yeah. to like, you know, I'm going to take steroids and do bodybuilding and, uh, you know, get as jacked as possible. That was my drug. Your thing. Yeah, this is an exercise. Our program's called the Stripe Method, and there's an exercise in it called Why We're All Addicts. And we put it in there because very often people are like, oh, I just, I just want to be normal. I like, yeah. like Fred. Oh, like Fred the pedophile that you don't really know what's going <laughs> on. With. I want to be normal like Amy or oh, Amy, the, the, the woman who's like, you know, when you're not looking, she's just watching fucking hours and hours of Netflix and do nothing else. Like everybody is a little bit fucked up in some way. Right. And oh, yeah. know, with what you're talking about, you can blame really Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because he said, didn't he? Take your vitamins, which was like take you know, prayers. Yeah. That was like take your drugs, really. When we know what he was saying. We all knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Say your prayers and and do you do your gun thing. So you just fell for the Hulk Hogan thing. <laughs> That's it, man. That was me. I read Arnold. For me, I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding when I was thirteen, and I was like, I'm gonna do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> see his eyeballs. I love. You yeah, didn't see that, Bo. Like Bo, Lisa, you missed that then. That was like evil <laughs> shit. We don't miss nothing from this guy. Don't worry. <laughs> I do remember in one of our episodes we cover addiction. And I was talking about my stuff with like steroids and stuff like that. And Bo just turns to me at one point and goes, what? I don't get it. What's like the payoff of doing that? <laughs> I know. It's like, just do cocaine, man. And I was like, no, I'm scared. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm injecting myself with testosterone. <laughs> I was like, cocaine, that's gross. <laughs> hey, Bo, I've never asked anybody this <laughs> before. Uh -oh. But I, I heard, I heard on the grapevine that steroids shrinks your cock. Is that right? Yeah, for him, actually, yes. But it still fits in my mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to dispel this myth. It shrinks. Your, your testicles shrink. Your testicles ah. usually disappear. Somebody it's must have the, been the slipping steroids in my gone. coffee then. Your testicles are gone, though, when you're out of business. They're gone. I don't have testicles. My my nuts are like squirrel. I, honestly, I don't have no balls. It's so embarrassing. They're just they're literally, li they live inside me body, body. They're like, I'm not fucking, I think it's because I grew up in the UK and it's so cold. Yeah. My balls are like, fuck that. Now I'm in California. They're like, hey. <laughs> you know, I feel an urge to Probably. get them out and jangle them. 
Probably your <laughs> wife is thrilled that you have no balls in their internal <laughs> because nut sacks are disgusting. There is not one woman in history who has ever <laughs> liked a nutsack. I was married for three and a half long years to a guy named Jimmy Big Balls because his sack was like that thing a hobo ties on a stick and puts over his shoulder. <laughs> so I think this is disgusting and your wife is lucky that she doesn't have to look at those hairy net nuts of yours. God bless. You know, uh, I have an overriding urge now to just bend over backwards and look at my balls in a mirror because I, I haven't done it for ages. Do you know I when you're in a whole... Do you know when you're in a hotel room on your own? You get it. You get into a hotel room and you put your bag down and you look around and it's like, oh, got no kids, got no wife. So you want to knock one out. It's like the first thing you think of. And then the second thing is you have to bend down and look at a crack your ass in the bathroom mirror. No, you're shaking yeah. your head. Sounds like you got a plan for the weekend, my friend. Yeah, I'm coming to California. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why, why the podcast? What, what's the, what's the point? What's the purpose? What you? Well, what had it. happened was um, I originally saw these guys do comedy as a favor to my niece, who's a friend of theirs. And we hung out after a couple of their shows. And I was noticing how, I mean, guys of my generation, they did not talk vulnerably. They act very bro-y. They're all like about just fucking whores and all this stuff. And these guys would have really deep, vulnerable, but, but funny conversations. And I just said to them one day, I go, well, this is a podcast. I go, you both clearly are open and vulnerable. You just got to start showing that there are straight guys, you know, in the millennial you know, generation that actually get it. And then I come on afterwards after they speak about a big issue and I uh, do a little life coaching on them, make fun of them a little because I have to roast them. You know, it's what what I'm known for. And we have a good time. But also, I think it's equal parts funny and also kind of insightful and inspiring because we get great emails that, wow, you know, we mm. cover some deep, deep, deep issues. Oh, it's good stuff, Lisa. I actually reached out to Bo earlier on and I was like, do us a favor, Bo. You know, could you send us a bio and an image? And Bo, you know when people type you an email, but it, it's not really what they're saying? Yes. So this is what this is what Bo really said in his response. Uh, Lee, fuck off. I'm really busy. <laughs> Why don't you go to my website, download it myself, and do your own job, you wow, lazy dude. bastard. Right? I'm so like, no. <laughs> I went, I went to Apple Podcasts and I read it. Get this right for everyone listening. Like literally five minutes before we're gonna get on air, I'm like, okay, I better check out who these guys are, right? And it said, Lisa, the mean queen. Why why do you mean? For 30 years in comedy, clearly you're British and don't know shit about American comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Like for 30 years, I was known as comedy's lovable queen of mean. I was on about 15 or 20 Comedy Central roasts. I have five uh, TV specials on HBO and Showtime and Comedy Central. And I was basically an insult comic who would go on and read people the right act, by the way, including Hulk Hogan was on one of the roasts, uh, the roast of David Hasselhoff. You roasted him? Oh yeah, sure. So um, what happened basically was uh, I retired from comedy three years ago because I didn't find any joy in it anymore. And a lot of it was definitely achievement based and accomplishment based, meaning I really wanted to medicate myself from feelings by just going, going, going. And so I said, let me take this all down a notch, take some time off and just figure out what really brings me some joy. And oddly enough, hanging around with two millennial douchebags 
brings me joy when we do this podcast. And it's, it's just like a great Lisa. lesson. It's, uh, being mean, but not mean at the same time. You've just given me an amazing idea, right? Because yeah. I like for me, 1,000 Days Sober and Strive, it's an holistic experience. I don't even know what that means, right? But just bear with me. It's an holistic experience, right? I believed it when you said it, and that's all that matters. Fuck it, eh? And I don't want anyone to go anywhere. So when they come, like, I want to help them with everything. So I got, like, money coaches. I got, like, health and fitness coaches. I probably um, hired Nick to be, like, our steroid recovery coach. But I was thinking you could be a roast coach. Now, get this. People would look at it in the program and they'd think, oh, wow, Lee told me that I need to get a different hobby. Like roasting is really cool, like a turkey or a beef, whatever. But what actually happens is you come on and you roast the fuck out of them. And then you turn around and say to them, now, try not to drink. Well, yeah, see, I, I actually, I love the idea of driving someone to drink, eat, bin shop, whatever it is. Just out of my evil nature. So anytime you want, Lisa Lampanelli, come. These former lovable queen of mean will come on and teach those fucking sorry ass addicts how to not drink, but they'll end up drinking anyway. It'll be great. I can't wait. I can't wait to see people pick up, as you say. Lisa, just to let you know as well, God's honest truth, right? Norm McDonald has been on this podcast. Oh, I and love I, And I didn't have a fucking clue who he was. I didn't have a clue. Listen, you British fucks, all you do is you like these hoity-toities, these Ricky Gervaises and your fucking Eddie Izzards. You don't keep up on this country, yet you live here. Who won the war? Remember, go see Hamilton. We won. Yeah. Yeah. My my four-year-old, Zia, we made the mistake of letting her watch Hamilton. And then yeah. she became addicted to Hamilton. Even four-year-olds have addiction. And then she's in the back of the car game. Mom, 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 get this, get this. What does a football sack mother of a whore fucking bastard from New York? What have I done? I mean, the beautiful thing about Hamilton was obviously that it cast uh, many people of color as the founding fathers, it was groundbreaking, beautiful, won a Pulitzer. But the best real part of Hamilton is it reminds you British assholes constantly how much better we are than you. Well, so <laughs> you're welcome. Can I, can I test a theory on that? Because I had this conversation with my wife the other day. Who's a, who's Ameri- she's Korean, but she pretends she's American, right? Oh, so I, had this, I was watching Hamilton and she was like, do you get, do you get like, like the, the passion and the, the story and the lineage and the history behind this. And I'm like, well, not really, because yeah. if, the, if the British had stayed in command and King George didn't lose, right. then America now would be a little bit like England now, which is not at all like Ethiopia now or Nigeria now or El Salvador now. <laughs> right. So... What was the fucking point of killing all those people when you could have just saved all the lives and just be like Britain? Because there's hardly any difference other than the fact that we drive on the wrong side of the road. Well, because it is the wrong side of the road because you people are backwards. <laughs> it's also that dumb accent because you have to. Yo, this is the problem with you Brits. That freaking accent. Oh, I read a book. <laughs> I went to university. I went to college. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Not all of you went to Oxford and Cambridge. Half of you grew up low lives in Liverpool. Uh, in a uh, high school. 
where they board waterboarded you. That being said, that being said, I really love England. I got to be honest with you. It's fantastic. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, I'm actually not that. I'm, I'm from Manchester, which is not far from Liverpool. Sure. Um, we are kind of like scumbags up there. Well, yeah, let me tell yeah. you, I just read a book. Did you read, um, what's his name? Roger Bennett's book about growing up in Liverpool and how no. difficult it is. It's phenomenal. And it's so, I'm like, wow, this is not like growing up what you see in London, you know? But I do have a fantasy that everyone from England is warm and cuddly like the people on Ted Lasso's soccer team. Everybody's or, telling me to watch that now. Best show on TV. It's, again, a uh, huge prize winner. It's so good. And a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I just do have a fantasy I would go to England someday and be enveloped with their warmth until they kicked me out. Wow. Well, Lisa, uh, come on now. You, obviously, you're not going to go to England because you're American, so you've never been anywhere. No! <laughs> Every everybody I hear doing an English accent goes on Mary Poppins. Oh, hello, y'all. Oh, I oh, love that. Lisa, can I tell you about the time I went to Liverpool? Yes. Like the only time I've ever been to Liverpool. So I went to Liverpool for a celebrate an anniversary with my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And we got fucking smashed, right? This is when we were drinking. We got smashed and we ended up in a strip joint. So we're just there drinking and all these women are there. Like, it's just literally me and her. If it was there like at one o'clock in the afternoon or something, right? And then she said, do you mind if I have a dance? I said, no. So I paid for her to have a dance. And they went upstairs, her and this woman. And then she came down after a bit and the woman grabbed my hand. I'm like, what are you doing? And my wife was like, no, go. So I went up to have a dance. And in that moment, I thought, what a beautiful wife. And I came back down and she said, how was it? And I went, it was all right. It was, but I would have rather have had her. Holy shit, if I had opened my mouth, right? It was like... (laughs) And then, and then a couple of weeks later, we go to Amsterdam. We go down the red light district. We get lost. And we end up in this, I can't even describe it. It was like the worst depravity you could ever imagine, right? Fresh, like my wife is, obviously, she's really proud that she allowed me to have a dance with a stripper. This woman walks on the bar with high heels and my wife says, go on, you can have a go, you know, in front of our mates. Go on, you can have a go. I say, I'm sure you don't want me to. No, go on, you can have a go. Are you sure? Yeah, go on, off you go. So I sit on the bar and then a woman comes along and plants herself in my face. (laughs) My wife was pulling me away pretty, pretty rapidly. There's a big difference between Amsterdam and Liverpool. We interrupt this broadcast to let you know that despite the absolute carnage, despite the fact that they're talking about nothing sensible and all they're doing is saying words like wanker, cunts and fucker, that Lee Davy is actually a master coach that knows what he's doing. If you need help in anything, anything, I repeat, anything, email him at 1kdaysover at gmail.com and he will get working to change your life. Now, without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to the foul mouth of Lisa Lampanelli. Uh, let me ask you this. Are the Liverpudlian strippers uh, not as good looking? Because that the reputation of Liverpool is not good. Well, here's one of the problems of drinking alcohol, which Paul will know. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. Okay. Okay. Let's just say she was an 11. That's great. 
Everyone's yeah. on 11. Out of 40. Yes. <laughs> I probably just looked at a bum a lot. Okay. Yeah. Good. Fair enough. Yeah, as, you, as you should. I, I probably just looked at a bum a lot, you know? So. <laughs> My God. Yeah. How many, by the way, how many years are you sober or months? How many? I don't count, but I think it's over 11 years. A long wow. time. Yeah. I'm one of those people with the Asian gene. Like I'm 46, 47, 47. I can't remember. I'm 47. And I look about 18, don't I? Yeah, you look good. Dude. Yeah, man. I mean, it's the, it's the Asian gene. But the problem is when you get, when you, when I get to Lisa's age, fuck, I'm going to look at like fucking 100. That's <laughs> honestly, that's like the paradoxical mess of the Asian gene. What happens? Wait, when you have the Asian gene, what, what happens? It just sneaks up on you quick? I think so. But the Asian gene as well, it actually, there's something in our genetics that means we can't handle alcohol. Wow. Mm. Makes you puke. I puke bad. When I was a, I was one of those, like, they used to speak to God down the great white telephone a lot, you know? Oh, God! <laughs> the great white telephone. Do you find, though, like, speaking of humor and recovery, it is very difficult to go to a meeting and if you're a comic and not try to make people laugh or laugh yourself. And it's clearly, well, it, oh, well, there are some funny stories. Like I remember a friend of mine was in AA and he told me how like this woman on park Avenue in New York city said she drank her Chanel number five, because you know how you fucking drunks are. You'll drink anything that has some alcohol in it. <laughs> so he, they all laughed in the meeting and she was cool with it. But I think the problem is when we go like to Al-Anon or Coda or whenever I go, I have a few friends who are like, I killed at the Al-Anon meeting. <laughs> but what did you really learn if you're addicted to making people laugh? So I think that's a problem, too. So it's all to you. Does it all seem just like a slippery slope? Like, really, you have to hold yourself in a lot of accountability. I, I've never been to AA. What the I hell? Have, you I, do? I've never been to me. You don't know this because I haven't done the intro yet. And you'll never listen to the podcast, like, because you've already <laughs> said that. But I say, I say at the beginning, hi, my name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic and I refuse to be anonymous. Why? Well, I thought that long, 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 long time ago, like probably eight years ago, wouldn't it be really good if everybody who hated AA came to me? It didn't work, but now I'm stuck. <laughs> the and I can't get rid of the catchphrase now. Um, well, so I've never you, been. I've never been to a meeting. I've never sat down and said, "Hey, my name is Lee. I'm an alcoholic or whatever." Blah blah blah. I've never done it. Are you a guy who basically just one day decided enough and you just stopped? Yeah. Here's the thing. So I I read a book. So my marriage was falling apart, and I read a book <clears throat> by Alan Carcar's "Easy Way to Control Alcohol." Mm-hmm. Right. Um, be- because I read his smoking. So my son is twenty now. So I. I gave up smoking 20 years ago just by changing the way I think. Yeah. I did the same with alcohol. But in the last two years, I paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time training myself as a coach. And now I realize that, you know, you can outthink your way into not drinking, but you can't really outthink your way, as uh, Bo was saying around feeling your emotions, um, experiencing your trauma, your inner child. Like there's a big part of this journey where we really need to get reacquainted with our bodies. And um, 
I never did that, but I did just notice I've started speaking in a Liverpoolian accent for some fucking bizarre reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Those Alan Carr books, I had a friend who quit drinking and smoking with that also. So yeah. there is something to it. I just think whatever works, works. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So just being open-minded to all that. I think the problem with um, some people, though, who should be going to AA, unlike yourself, you know it's not <clears> right for you they become, you know, a dry drunk and then they're just white knuckling it the whole time. You clearly aren't doing that, but oh, that's no. <clears throat> just holding on for dear life. I think that's when it becomes like, ouch, I got to go talk this out. I've, um, white knuckled using down, down that great razor blade using my wrinkly balls as brakes. A lot, <laughs> lot, lots of, lots of different things after drinking. Like my, my biggest battle actually in terms of addict two, one was anger and the other one was sugar. Mm. I've got the sugar on lick now. I'm actually started to eat a little bit of sugar after years of not eating it. Um, and I've, I'm not going to say I've got the anger thing licked, but I'm doing very, very, very well in the anger wow. side of things. But, but the anger really is, was all about the body, getting into the body. Um, because <laughs> let's be honest, you know, like when I was young, back in the 70s, like if I like cried, my dad would say, shut the fuck up. If I laughed, he'd say, shut the fuck up. If I got angry, he'd smack me and say, shut the fuck up. I remember watching King Kong, Lisa, and I used to love it. And then King Kong would fall off the Empire State Building and then he'd die. And then I would fucking bawl my eyes out. And my dad would take a beat and go, ah, you pussy. Little did he know, 40 years later, I'd be on a paying someone thousands of pounds to deal with that issue. Yeah. Like, that, that's yeah. life, right? That's life. Well, it is. And what's interesting is it's so hard not to stay in blame of those people because clearly somebody did it to him who did it to him. Who did it. And it's it's good to get rid of the anger and work on the anger, because honestly, sympathy and compassion for those people is you know really what where we can go instead. But oh, I had yeah. huge anger, anger, too, and had to work with somatic therapists and, you know, body centric people just to sort of not yell at every person who came across my transom, as they say. <laughs> well, I actually think I'm going to introduce you to Stephen Porges with his polyvagal theory. Yeah. We should get, we should oh. get you in this book because you know what Porges is saying is let's just say, for example, my four-year-old doesn't eat a breakfast in the morning when I wanted to get a school. Mm -hmm. When she doesn't want to eat a breakfast, I got to get her out the door. My inner child comes up. Now, Porges is saying, I go from a parasympathetic nervous system state, social engagement, all happy dad, lovey dad, to all of a sudden sympathetic nervous system kicks in. I'm in fight or flight. Like, I literally want to fucking kill my four-year-old, right? Work. Now, what I do now is I go, okay, you don't want to eat your dinner, your breakfast? She's like, no, okay, I'll be back in a minute. And I go in the garden and I stick my head in the dirt. People say to put your feet in the dirt. I just stick my fucking head in the dirt. And I go, there's no fucking food! <laughs> and then, then, you know, I ground myself. I come back in and I'm, all, I'm okay. You have been going on stage for... 30, 40 years, roasting and getting angry at people. You, you didn't know it. You were like self-medicating yourself. You were like 100%. regulating your nervous system. 100%. And that's really why I think I've been so much happier since retirement. I am not regretted being a comic, but a lot of it was, you know, definitely fight or flight. I mean, mm. there's nothing more. People say stand-up is the hardest form of entertainment. And I think it is because you're alone. And you have to be on alert 
oh, 100% of the time. Like Judy Dench or freaking Patti LuPone probably isn't going to have to scream at someone in a Broadway theater, um, mm. call them a big <laughs> fucking cunt. Like we might have to because they're yelling or drunk. It's considered part of the fun. Well, it ain't fun for us, but you can't start crying. So basically you ba- better develop a thick skin, which helps in comedy, helps you get rich, helps you make money, does not help you in life. Because literally, what is the rage doing? It's really just medicating that 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 thing in in you that isn't healed. I mean that. I mean two things. One, I'm now going to have to go back and give everybody the cunt warning. So thanks for that. Love the cunt. (laughs) Um, um, And then secondly, like I think stand up, honestly. I'm not saying we should force people at gunpoint to do it, but what an epic part of a program of recovery, right? So me and you, we, me and you three, we're having a laugh, right? We're throwing some jokes around. I'm not a comedian. So there's a few times I've said a joke and it hasn't landed because I'm British. You know what the fuck I'm talking about. And it feels, it feels a little bit uncomfortable. And it's that uncomfortableness, that embarrassment, that shame, that leads people to drink. It's like a, it starts out very small and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and they drink. So if you could get people on the stage to like, just to learn to let's be a fuck up, then, oh, I don't need a drink because it's okay to tell a joke and it not the land. You know what? That's a great point. Like ever since I retired, I said, I'm just going to do things and it doesn't matter how badly I do them. Um, I had become really obsessed with becoming a really good ballroom dancer. And for two years, I was hardcore, like every single day. I mean, this is thousands of dollars. It's really a lot of time and injuries and stuff. And I gave it up then because I was like, it's become an obsession. And now I go, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it badly. So my poor yeah, I like dancer it. is like, I don't have to prove. I'm like, because I'm intentionally doing this for fun. <laughs> so singing. I had a singing teacher once. This is so great. He said, if you think you're off key or don't know the words, sing louder. And everyone ended up better because they risked doing it badly. So oh, like, I love it. Stand up, anytime you just say, I'm just going to have fun with it and do it badly. And who really cares? No one's watching anyway. You know, I like that. Like I had a guest on her once. Her name is Tiffany Han. And she said to me, Lee, I've got this challenge for you. She said, write out a list of 100 people you really want on your podcast, like like Richard Branson, Russell Branson, anybody else who's called Branson, David Beckham, <laughs> Santa Claus, right? And she said, write the list of the 100 people you'll never think you're going to get and then ask them. And she said, you, you'll get used to kind of like getting turned down. And sure. one of them will say yes. So I went through my hundred. I didn't get a yes. And then people like Bo has been reaching out to me saying, can I come on your podcast? And I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Get on it. Get on it. Get on it. Yeah. Like I've, I've done now Jude Law, all these other guys. Can't even think of any celebrities right now because I don't watch TV anymore. But I reached out to them all. And um, well, you well, can get your a- trombone out now, Bo, and play it while I'm saying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a violin would be better. But isn't the whole thing like getting, letting go of the results? Because it's just going to happen with how it's supposed to happen anyway. I, I just, think I think the key out. is doing it, doing it, and then they, you get surprised, right? So like Gay Hendricks was on here the other week. Jack Canfield's been on here. You know, Carla McLaren, you might not know, but she wrote an amazing book about emotions. And I'm just like, ah, fuck it. I'll just ask her to come on in. She's like, yeah, yeah, all right. I'm not doing anything. I'm just you know, hanging around. 
Like well, we, sta- we stabbing did, at my butt in the mirror? Well, what we, <laughs> what we did was we did an episode a couple of weeks ago called, about accepting people's limits. And we're like, if you accept in a friend or acquaintance what their limit is, like say they're always late. If you just accept it and say, but they're a worthy person in my life, you never get mad at them again for lateness. Yeah. So it's just accepting we have limits, they have limits. And again, it's accepting who, what people are attracted to your show. And then you look them up, you know, as you're on air with them, because you're really mm-hmm. fucking prepared. <laughs> and you go, hey, you go, wow, that worked out well. So sometimes just they surprise you. You can't expect anything, but you could be surprised by what they do, which is really nice. Hang on, Lisa. Uh-oh. Liza, we've got an answer to that problem. You know the one where you're late all the time and I get really annoyed? <laughs> it's all right. Lisa's just giving me the answer. <laughs> She's going to get really pissed off in a minute. She told me the other day that whenever I'm around her, I activate her sympathetic nervous system. I said, well, what do I do? She said, no, it's just you. What the <laughs> fuck? How do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, I would stay together for the sake of the kid at this point, but that little bitch doesn't eat breakfast, so screw her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. She's actually teething. We just got a note from school. Do you remember when we went to school and then you thought you would skip double maths in the morning yeah. and then you wouldn't come home until like two weeks later and they right. still wouldn't notice? Now they like text you on your app and they send you photographs and and there's a part of you thinking, oh, that's really nice. And there's another part of you thinking, I just, I couldn't wait to get fucking rid of her. And now you're fucking messaging me every two minutes with photographs of her. You know? It is challenging. I'm sure. See, we're childless because I'm emotionally unavailable and they can't find women to have sex with them. So we, someday maybe they'll learn what it's like to actually love something. One yeah, they'll, they'll get there eventually, you know. Oh, on teeth. You know, I say my daughter's teething. I'm going to let you into a little... Do you know this, this thing is about America I love and it's things I fucking hate, right? In the last two months, I spent more money on dental treatment in this country than in 46 years living in the UK. What the fuck is wrong with your dental payments here? How are the poor people do? What's wrong with... No wonder you British all have your rotten teeth in your head. <laughs> and the thing is, you just don't look too bad. You got American teeth. I don't even eat. I don't even eat sugar. I haven't had sugar for years and my teeth are all falling out. My we money have no explanation doesn't... other than the fact that, well, once again, this is another way we're superior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my wife won't let me drive anywhere. Like... Well, I, I no. took Zia to school the other day. She let me do that. I ran a red light. She's like, see, this is why I don't let you drive in America. What has that got to do with driving in America? I ran a red light because I'm a prick when I'm driving. That doesn't got nothing to do with me being in America. And by the way, I think you'd get out of the ticket more easily because that stupid accent charms Americans. True, like, I'm it. telling you, American women are so stupid that you could be a homeless <laughs> British guy with an accent and they will gobble your knob because of that accent. Oh, Go God. out there and try, damn Honestly, it. women love it, right? I spent a lot of time in Vegas, right? In a poker circuit. And the women around on a poker, oh, speak more, speak more, speak. It's a true story. I'm actually born in England, but raised in Wales, right? And for the World Series, I would work out there, long story, but I would work out the World Series. And my mates from Wales would come over and we'd play some like one, two and have a laugh and they would get smashed with all the free drinks. 
And we were at this table once talking and the dealer told us to speak English. Otherwise, he was going to get us off the table. And we had to keep reminding him that we were speaking English. And he got so angry that we kept saying, we're not speaking. He called the floor and the floor's talking to me saying, can you speak English? And I'm like, we don't know any other language. And he's like, right, that's it. Off the table. Oh, my God. See, see, you got what you deserved. By yeah. the way, do you get really mad when people who are uneducated in, say, British humor just always say, oh, you're British. Don't you love Monty Python? Yes, Monty Python is inarguably the greatest comedy troupe maybe ever. But do you say, hey, man, that's that's not even the beginning of it. Me and Liza have a big problem with this. Like when I first met her, I was like, this is fucking awesome. It's like an experiment. I could show her everything that's British that is amazing yeah. and epic because she doesn't know any of it. She didn't know the, the jam. She'd never heard of the jam. She'd never watched uh, The Office with Ricky Gervais. She'd never watched The Royal Family. I sat down to watch The Royal Family. I'm pissing myself laughing. She's like, what? I don't get it. And then she'll show me Americans and I'm right. like, I don't get it. It's like yeah. completely different humor. Well, it is a really funny cultural divide. But if you watch stuff like, do you watch the show Catastrophe? That mm. melds it together really well. That's on Amazon Prime. And if you can't afford it, I could give you my password. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a big shot that way. So uh, oh, there he goes. But I will tell you, it is very interesting. They can blend them together. <laughs> is that your weird money tree? Um, money tree. It's broken. So, yeah, it's it's culturally like i'll sometimes watch the british shows definitely with subtitles because you people yeah you talk so freaking weird that i gotta <laughs> read what you say because i really the, it's beautiful language i don't want to miss a word of this script so i gotta read that stuff yeah i mean i get it i, I tell you again my codependency like when i first met like i would i would get into so many fights with her because i kept having to repeat myself all the time like I, I wrote an email this morning to my tribe and I and, and I used the word that like, if you do this, Bob's your uncle. And yeah. then I was like, no one's going to know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I like that expression, though, I think because yeah. I have a couple British friends. So I like like those cute expressions you people have like, oh, Bob's your uncle. Ooh, sixpence, none the richer. You know, that kind of thing. We went to university. I do like the accent, man. The I accent do. is great. It's, I have a client from the UK, and I was training him one day, and I was like, how's that weight? And he was like, easy as piss. And I was like, wow. <laughs> is that he's a like, thing? He's like, he goes, you never heard that? I was like, no. No. <laughs> never heard that. It's like when you wear wanker for the first time, right? Oh, I like, love that. I love geezer. That's what I love. Yeah. Geezer. Or geezer bird. So, so women, where I used to live, used to drink a lot. We call them geezer birds. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you're, fuck. You're... I just lost all my women audience no. right there. No, but that's okay. <laughs> we all have those. We call them whiskey sticks, rum balls, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> whiskey sticks. Wick, look at this whiskey stick. Yeah. Like it'd be some skinny broad who drinks too much. I've I like when when um British guys call their their wife the missus. They go, well, me missus, oh. and I think that's so cute. I used to say that, but now it's like a fucking minefield, right? Like if oh. I say love or bird or missus, like obviously I'm like the devil incarnate. Like I, 
Oh. I don't care. So I'm, I'm actually kind of like going through life kind of because i got a daughter and a son. Like I'm trying oh. to teach my son to respect women, trying to teach my um, daughter to be a lesbian. You know, all those kind of things <laughs> that keep him out of fucking I, way I of trouble. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's hard, isn't it, like to – like there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I want to do the right thing. But then the other part is like, what the fuck is the right thing? Like, I, I don't even know what to call a black man anymore. I'm always getting in trouble with Liza. You know, well, like- I will say uh, I do a lot of reading on this because I am the world's oldest millennial. I'm woke as fuck. And I will tell you, I do a lot of reading black because black lives matter. They I read a lot about this black. So you Got knowledge from me from the superior country. I am telling you, <laughs> black people apparently like to be called black. Women like to be called women. And, you know, Asians, ask your wife. I'm not fucking her. Well, <laughs> well, I'm half Chinese. Well, I'm actually 48% Chinese. It's not and my, my daughter, who's, who's Korean, she said to me, well, what color are we, dad? And I said, well, apparently we're yellow. She's like, we don't, we don't look yellow. I mean, that is another point. Like, you're in school and someone's like, you're fucking yellow belly. You're like, it's fucking brown. But it's yeah. pink. You know, I got called so many names when I was younger. <laughs> I know. That's a lot of the stuff, too, is like, that's traumas, all those traumas from childhood. Like, yeah. no wonder everybody's a drunk or a food addict or a codependent because, boy, people are mean. You know, and if you're not, res- kid, there are the kids are resilient. No, they're not. <laughs> they, they, you get your feelings hurt and then you binge. That is so true. That is so true. And yeah. what I recently learned as well is the difference between or, or the sameness of big T trauma, and little T trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a like, you know, when you go to like AA, apparently, because I've never been. But there's this kind of battle of who's got the best story. Right. Like, oh, yeah, when I was younger, I got fucking bad. You got bad? Yeah, my dad took a machete and took me fucking elbow off. Oh, yeah, mine stuck fucking chopsticks <laughs> in my eyes, right? And it's like, who got the worst story? And it's the same with trauma. It's like, if I haven't been raped or buggered, I don't have trauma. But I'm fucking telling you, when my parents moved me from England to Wales and ripped me away from all my friends and put me in a school where I was the only Asian kid, I was a quote-unquote English cunt, as they kept calling me, because I didn't even know the way Welsh well, the English. Right. That right. was fucking murder. And that turned me into a tyrant that I became today. Well, you know what? Think about it. It's interesting you talk about this because um, I had a friend who'd had all the capital T traumas. It was horrible. And I have like a thousand small T traumas. So I never felt like I could complain about mine to her because I'm like, I thank God never had any of that horrible stuff. And she'd go, we're both carrying, say we're both carrying 60 pounds of rocks. You just have more, it's more broken up for you. So just because it doesn't measure out the same, it does weigh the same. So any trauma is worth being worked on. The trauma could have been as simple as your mom looked away from you when it was a, a moment that you really needed her to look and she was just turning off the stove. So you never know what affects a kid. So, and also sometimes even the best parents have a little thing where the kid has to work it out. And it's sad, mm. but we just got to do our work and not kind of blame them. I remember when I was about six or seven, I went to my mom and said, hey, do we have any relatives who are Chinese? And she said, why? I said, because everyone's calling me Ching and Ching. Why? Right. 
And why don't I look like my sisters? And she told me, she said, oh, your dad left me before you were born. Like he was from China. Right. And I was like, oh, right. But this is my dad, right? You know, because she'd married again. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. But then as I was getting older and it was getting worse and worse, I wasn't cool with it. If I could rewind, I'd be like, mom, why did you fuck a Chinaman? Why couldn't you have just married a, a, an Englishman? Why, why, why did it have to be Chinese? You know, it's like, in a, in a way, I really despise, I, I was really so ashamed mm. of my own genetics. I was ashamed of being Chinese, which, which made me kind of like racist in a little way. Even yeah. though I was subject to racism, I was so ashamed of it that you have to ask yourself, why am I so ashamed of being Asian? What's wrong with being Asian? And then I end up marrying a Korean and, you know, right. Well, now, I think now my it, entire family is Asian. Well, we all, we all have internalized, you know, racism for ourselves. We have an internalized fat phobia or whatever we have. And it's the whole secret is just like not staying in it, just noticing it and working on it. But also when you were being screamed at at that school for Asian stuff, I want to apologize for doing that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that happened, you English cunt. So and by the way, I love how you like blithely threw out the term Chinaman. I do think they retired that during the 40s. So you know, Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't actually it was chink. They would call me a chink. Oh God. Yeah, that. yeah, I know. It's terrible. I hate it. And just to confuse him even more, my nickname was Ching. Oi, vey. You know what? You're in trouble. I would say yeah, just, just at this up. point, kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. But the likely, I mean, if someone came up to me, like we've had a lot of Asian hate around LA, right? And my wife's like really worried about it because her parents like, you know, sometimes I could be like, come across as being really like, like I don't give a shit. Like your parents are 17. Like she's worried. Like she's saying to me, don't take Zia to the supermarket. Asian hate. You know, I'm just kind of like, well, you know, if they came up to me with a fucking baseball bat, I'd say, whoa, 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 look, I'm not Asian. And if I went into a load, you know, like Asian people and I wanted to, like, not get whitey-fied, I'd be like, I'm fucking totally Asian. So it's yeah. great being of mixed race. Yeah. I could just fit in everywhere, abuse anyone. Well, <laughs> I remember what I loved when uh, Howard Stern used to always say, he goes, he lied about two things. He goes, I always lie and say I'm half Jewish so I can make fun of everybody. Because <laughs> um, I think he's full Jewish. And then he also used to tell his daughters that he was a Harvard professor. So he never wanted them to know what he did for a living. So we all have to lie just a little, uh, you know? See, it's not, it's not just people from the UK who believe they're in Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, you know, even in America, you got people believing they're in Harvard and all those other posh universities. I can't figure out your education system. It fucks my mind up. When I was younger i lived here my school was there my doctors was there and my shop was there here yeah. my wife's like so what private school are we going to send it to what what the fuck which she just goes to school doesn't she there's so many layers of it it's just i can't deal. as you can tell i can't deal with much i don't blame you stay stay in your lane do what you do let your wife handle that because the Asians are fantastic with education. <laughs> That's a good stereotype, okay? You're I, terrible. The white part of you makes you bad at that. I, I, was in a, I was in a coaching container the other day, and this guy was coaching me, um, and we were going on about my low self-worth, and he said to me, look, I get it, you know? Like, you Asian people, you know? Like, your parents are like fucking tiger moms, tiger dads, they're fucking driving you academically, and, you know, what you go through, we don't understand. I'm like... 
you don't know my fucking parents. I left school when I was 16. They didn't want me to learn fuck all. They just wanted money to come in the house. I was like, how stereotypical is that, right? Like, just looking yeah. at me and, and, and then putting all that Asian shit on me. Well, let me tell you, some stereotypes are rooted in reality. Bo is Irish and he's a drunk. Perfect. That's how it works. Yep. Nick is Italian and he abuses women. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hitter from way back. But what's good about him is on Valentine's Day, they don't get the closed fish. They get the open hand. <laughs> I like it. I like. Can I just say, by the way, you have got an Iron Maiden T-shirt on. It's badass, right? I used to before. They're I British. The, the other British, Bruce Dickinson. Well, don't go. I bet you don't go to. I bet if Bruce Dickinson was fucking sliding up your bedroom, doing all that kind of shimmying with his hairy ass. You wouldn't turn around and say to him, oh, Bruce Dickinson, get the fuck out of my bedroom and get back up to the fucking university, you can't. Well, Bruce Dickinson was known to have an enormous schlong, and I'll tell you how I know this. Before I was a comedian, I started comedy at 30. I went to school for journalism, and I ended up interviewing heavy metal bands during the 80s. So I interviewed Bruce Dickinson, and I am telling you, he, whether if he didn't stuff it, I, I would be shocked because this thing was an anaconda. He was hung like the stereotype of an of a black man. And I'm saying it's a stereotype to be politically correct because it's obviously true. So Bruce was really hung. And how much do you love Maiden? Do you like Iron Maiden? I mean, look, we know that Bruce obviously doesn't do steroids. Just cleared that up. Um, <laughs> That's true. I, I just know one song, which is Run to the Hills. I, do, I, I don't know why I know it. I used to walk around with Iron Maiden t-shirts on. I was one of those pricks who walked around with Iron Maiden t-shirts on because it was cool. And people would go, whoa, yeah, fucking Maiden, man. Do, do you know so-and-so song? I'd be like, uh, nope. Well, don't worry. I'll make you a mixtape because we oh, yes. make mixtapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like mixtapes. Okay, we've reached the end of our time. You're the best. This is the time when I tell you I've really got to go to do something and then actually do fuck all. Losers with a dream. It's been really wonderful. I've really enjoyed having you on it. Tell people where they can find you, why they should listen to you, what you've got going on. Okay, the podcast is called Losers with a Dream with Lisa Lampanelli, Bo McDowell, and Nick Scopoletti. And we are on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. It's deep conversation and comedy at the same time. We don't do one without the other. It's hilarious. And you will think also. So basically nothing like what we've just done for the past hour. 150% opposite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for having you on. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to press this record button to stop it, and I'll, I'll speak to you on the other side. Cool. Yo, 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 people. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you had a bit of fun. I hope you at least laughed once during that maelstrom of madness. Um, if you've got anything to complain about because of the language or the material, fuck off. I can't be bothered with it. Don't even message me because I won't listen to it. It was just fun, okay? Right, with that out of the way, if you would like to get alcohol 
behind you and start living a fantastic life. If you want to experience what it is like without having to even think about this stuff, then you're in luck. The Strive Method, our six-month signature program, including access to our wonderful Strive community and our online meetings and coaching sessions are available to you. Head over to the website, www.1000daysober.com and sign up today. The best value in the entire sober space, without a shadow of a doubt. If you don't like it, I'll give you freaking money back. All right. Much love. Thank you for the support. If you like the 1000 Day Sober podcast, please tell somebody, please rate and review it at your local podcast provider. It would mean the world to me. Okay. Take care of yourself now. 